The following sermon is from Christ Church Port Orange. For more information, find us online at joinwithjesus.org. Thanks for listening. Today we're wrapping up what has been a six-month preaching series. We started reading the Bible in six months back in January. We finished uh, July the 3rd, but we've had a number of things happening here at Christ Church. Constant change is here to stay. Let that sink in for a second. Anyway, it's been fun. It's been exciting, but I didn't want to... um, I didn't want to project a sermon from Revelation and then not make good on it. And so I wanted to take today and close up our Binge the Bible series with a sermon from the book of Revelation. And so if you have your Bible, you open to Revelation chapter one. And it it is just to be grammatically correct, Revelation and not Revelations. It's become a colloquial way of talking about the book, but it's just one, Revelation. And I want to read to you chapter one verses nine to 20. And I want to tell you as we're about to read this that um, revelation means an unveiling. That's what the word apocalypse means. It's a pulling back so that you can see behind the curtain. And so this is a revelation to John, but it's a revelation of Jesus. It's also a prophecy. It is speaking about what is happening in the world as it is and things to come. And it's a letter. This is a letter to actual people in the first century. It made sense to them. It can make sense to us, but we have to understand what it was. So I want to read to you Revelation chapter one, verses nine. Uh, We'll read to 18, actually. Here's what it says. I, John, your brother, and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Patmos is Turkey's Alcatraz. And so John was banished to a prison island and is here, verse 10 tells us, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. And then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man clothed with a long robe, with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. God, we thank you for your word that's been read in our hearing. Lord, we thank you that your word is alive and active, and as we read it, it reads us. God, I thank you for every person 
who is gathered today to encounter you, the living God, and to fix our eyes on Jesus. Lord, as we consider this revelation, this unveiling of our King Jesus to John on the Isle of Patmos in the first century and what it means for us today, God, I pray that you would speak and that you would give us ears to hear, that you would give us spiritual eyes to see, that you would transform us through a glimpse of our risen King Jesus. And I pray, God, that you would do a mighty work, that we might receive afresh your good gift of the Holy Spirit. God, that we would receive everything that you intend to give us, to outfit us with for the calling and the purpose that is on our lives and on our church in this generation. Lord Jesus, we see you at work. We observe you described here by John and we know that you are present in this place. And so we pray that you would speak and that you would give us ears to hear. In Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. I love this little section of the revelation of John, the revelation of Jesus to John. This is a revelation of Jesus. Somebody say amen. This is not a revelation of John. Uh, we, do, we are getting some details here about John, but this, this book, this little section and this whole entire book is about Jesus. And it's about Jesus who is a conquering king. Again and again and again, the word used throughout the book of Revelation is the word nikeo, which is where you get the little Nike swoosh from. You guys know that Nike stole that from Koine Greek. It means to conquer. In fact, of the seven letters that are written in chapters two and three, Jesus concludes his letter sent through John to the ones who conquer. And those, those are the ones that are going to receive and be bestowed upon them the richest of blessings to receive every good thing that Jesus has in store. This book is written to Christians in the first century who are experiencing the same thing we're experiencing. Pressure and persecution from without and temptation to fall away from within. There was an enemy in the physical world who was oppressive and attacking of the purposes of God. And there's an enemy in the spiritual realm that is seeking to draw God's people away, to lure them away. And John is writing to churches a message from Jesus that's the same message for us today. And it's this, don't give up and don't give in. There is a revelation of Jesus to be experienced that will set you up to see the world differently, that you might live like Christ and die like Christ. Do you know that? The ultimate victory for the Christian is to die like Christ, to make it to the end of your days, however long they are, having devoted yourself to the purposes of God placed on your life and to have lived your life in obedience to God and humble love to other people. That's what victory looks like. The enemy would like to tempt you away, to stir your doubts, to draw you into things that are away from the purposes of God, to slow you down, to shut you up, to pull you aside, to pick you off that you might be vulnerable. And John is writing this message from Jesus and saying, don't give up and don't give in. Stand firm in your faith. 
And this letter begins with this incredible unveiling and this revelation of Jesus. And so as we close this six-month series and wrap up this Binge the Bible series, I want to draw your attention specifically to verses 13 to 16 as we consider this image. And I want you to imagine for a second the implications of seeing the world as it really is and not just the way that you see it through your own limitations. I was watching a Smithsonian Channel um, special with Julian last Sunday. The girls had gone out and him and I were sitting on the couch at home and I was trying to sneak in a nap. And uh, so he likes fast airplanes. And so there's a series of um, like war machine documentaries on Smithsonian and they feature these different fighter jets. And so I put on the F-15s, very boring narrated so I could sleep and he could watch. And so uh, he's sitting next to me and he's asking how fast these planes go. And I'm like, watch, buddy, they'll tell you. And he's asking me all these questions. I'm like, watch, they'll tell you. They'll tell you. Just keep watching, you know? He's asking all these questions. And then he looks at me and he goes, do you want to fly an airplane when you grow up? And I said, that, I said but I'm grown up. My, my chances are over. I'm not going to be flying a jet fighter. And he, but I was like, but you could. He was like, what? This was, a, this was a possibility that was never open to him in the past. And I said, yeah, you could, be, you could be a pilot and you could take me for a ride in your airplane. And he was like, what? He was like, I'll be in the front and you'll be in the back. And I was like, yeah, we can do that. And then he gets this devious look on his face and he starts snickering under his breath. He's like, oh. I'm like, what? He goes, you don't know what I'm going to do to you. And I just love that moment because it captures the essence of going from seeing the world one way with certain limitations and expectations and then coming into some knowledge that allows you to look at the present and the future very differently with different possibilities. And that's what Revelation is about. It's about a glimpse to the world as God sees it, not as your doubts see it, not as the voices around you see it, not as your own sets of limitations and problems see it. No, this is a picture of look at the world the way God sees it and then experience and receive his power to live in it in a way that is different than you thought, in a way that fulfills the purposes of God, that preserves you even through death, not to avoid it, not to pursue all the things that the world holds out for you as what real life is. No, to live the life that Jesus describes. There's also something really powerful that happens here It's kind of like a a wormhole or a portal between heaven and earth. And I love that the text tells us that John, he says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. We don't know exactly when this book was written, but we know that John was one of the last living disciples. And in fact, he he had had an attempt on his life, church history tells us, that he was boiled alive and did not die. We don't know if, if if he was like miraculously preserved, like the boys in the fiery furnace in Daniel 4, or if he came out extra tasty crispy but was just very durable. We don't know. But we know that he was unstoppable and placed on this island to shut down the ministry of this remaining apostle and to stop the activity of the word of God spreading. And it was on this prison rock in the Aegean Sea that Jesus revealed himself to John and sent a letter that shook the first century world. And it's fed Christians in every century ever since it was written. And there's a bridge here between heaven and earth. And brothers and sisters, every time we enter the presence of God, when we are in the spirit on the Lord's day, we are encountering the living God and inviting heaven into earth. Do you know that? 
This is an outpost of heaven on earth. We are creating an environment where people far from God can come near to God and experience his power and his presence. And if we're doing things right, the good news about great joy for all people, a revelation of Jesus Christ. And so John was doing that, maybe even by himself. But here's a guy who, like us, had a practice. And his practice was to be in the spirit on the Lord's day. He was experiencing persecution from the outside. But he also recognized the distinct privilege. I love that he says, and I heard. Here's, here's the apostle John. He's just hanging out on Patmos. He's in the spirit. He's worshiping the Lord on a Sunday morning. And he hears the voice of God. Do you know that every single time you sit in a, in a chair in church on a Sunday morning and the Bible's open, that you have the opportunity to hear the word of God? My son, Julian, he's, he's six and he's sitting in the front row and he doesn't like to go to his class. And I was telling Tiffany as we're trying to figure this out, because we'd love him to go to his class. Did you hear that, bud? We'd love for you to go to your class. But I was telling Tiffany when I was his age, I didn't want to go to my class either. I like to sit in the big meeting and I like to hear the word of God read. And I remember leaving church. I may have been seven. I left church and my mom said, did you like the sermon? And I said, no, I hated it. She said, why? And I said, the preacher didn't read the Bible at all. And he didn't, he didn't crack the scriptures one time. And I was super upset about it. I was like, I was there to hear the Bible and he didn't even read the Bible. Did you know that? And so I know it gets a little, it gets a little old for you guys because I'll read lots and lots and lots of Bible in my sermons. But that's why we are here, isn't it? We are here to hear from the Lord Jesus. And so we've got his word and we're in his spirit and we're on the Lord's day and we have this privilege and we have this purpose. We are here to receive for us and then to be sent out as emissaries, apostles, ambassadors to bring good news of great joy for all people. You know, there's not a lot of good news available to people on the radio, on the television. Everywhere you go, it's the bad news and it's somebody else's narrative and we're here knowing what is really going on and we ought to be the ones sharing good news. Amen? So this is what John's experienced. This is what we're experiencing. And so I want us to experience this revelation of Jesus, particularly in this descriptive passages in verses 14 to 16. In verse 13, we're told that as John turns in verse 12, he sees the seven golden lampstands and in the midst of the lampstands, one like the son of man. At the close of the chapter, Jesus tells John that the mystery of the seven lampstands and the seven stars that are in his right hand. He said, the seven lampstands are the seven churches. It's the fullness of the people of God. And isn't it a beautiful picture that when Jesus reveals himself to John, the place where he is standing is in the presence of the church. Do you know that Jesus is here? Amen. Some of you can feel him. Some of you can feel something. Something's going on here. That's because God's here. But guess what? He was here before you got here. And he'll be here when you leave. Because he's here to encounter you. And the seven stars are the seven angels of the seven churches. The, 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 the messengers, that word angelos can mean heavenly messenger, an actual angel. It can mean a messenger, like I send somebody. Like we have text messages. I'm sending a person with a message or it can be um, a speaker. So the one reading the letter or the pastor of these churches, but he's saying these, this is what's in my right hand. We'll see more of that in just, in just a moment. But here's Jesus in the midst of these lampstands and he's clothed in power. He's wearing 
this long robe with a golden sash around his chest. And this is instantly hearkening back to Exodus 28 and 29. This was the garb of the high priest. And so here Jesus is representing humankind as he's in the seven golden lampstands, but he's also the high priest representing the power and majesty of God. And so he is the bridge between heaven and earth, the bridge between God and people. And that is what is actually happening right now in this room, though you cannot see it. Do you know that? That is how we are able to be in God's presence without being instantaneously judged and consumed, praises Jesus, because there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus, and he is in our midst. But there's a revelation, there's a picture, there's a description of him that is meant to tell us something about our experience of Jesus and to whet our appetite and increase our desire for more of God's active presence in our lives every single day. And I want to talk to you a little bit about this description. Um, how many of you guys would like to see a photograph of Jesus? Raise your hand. How many of you guys have enjoyed watching The Chosen and having a person to look to and some, yeah, it does something to your experience. It makes it more real, yes? Now, the scriptures don't provide for us a physical description of Jesus. In fact, Isaiah, the prophet, tells us, speaking of Jesus, that there was nothing special in him that should make him desirable to look at. He was not desirable to the eyes. And John, who knew Jesus closely, could have easily described Jesus' physical characteristics to us, but he did not. This is why people get fixated on things like the Shroud of Turin, and let's turn it inside out and recreate the face of Jesus so we can see what he looks like. This is not that kind of description. John could have written, I love Jesus. He was 5'11 and a half, but he never complained about not being quite six feet tall. And uh, he had a great little side smile his nose was bulbous and crooked to the left. No, it, it's not that kind of description. But these descriptions, these physical descriptions about Jesus, sevenfold descriptions, allow us to see something about the nature of who our Jesus is. And when we encounter him and experience him, to know him deeper and to have our lives transformed through this knowledge. And so I just wanna look at this for a minute and then I wanna give us an opportunity to receive God's good gift of his Holy Spirit. Here's what it says, verse 14. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. Think about this for a second. Jesus, resurrected Jesus, um, revealing himself physically and in power, and what is the color of his hair? White. How cool is that? We, uh, we under-revere age in our society. We go to great lengths to not have white hair. I've heard a lot of people talk about what will our resurrected body be like? I remember listening to Tim LaHaye. He was like 85 at the time. And he said, I think when we get our new bodies, we're going to be at our, our age, we're going to be at age 33 because Jesus was 33 when he died. And that's the, in, our, in our best shape. When he said that I was 33, I was like, this is not my best shape. We're going to have to, you're going to have to go back another decade to like 23. If you want to talk about the best shape, right? What is it going to be like when God makes us whole again? But here Jesus is manifesting himself physically to John. And what do we see? He has white hair. Amen. And what is this a picture of? It's a picture of two things. It's a picture of wisdom. This is a picture of understanding. And it's a picture of purity. All throughout the Old Testament, uh, purity is, is imaged to us through white wool and snow. And this is what Jesus, from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet, we're gonna have this description. And here Jesus is revealing himself with white hair, like white wool, like snow. 
He is the source of all righteousness. He is the source of wisdom. Verse 14 continues. His eyes were like a flame of fire. What was that like? It doesn't say they were fire. It says they were like a flame of fire. All of us humans, we all have this interesting relationship with fire. If you go camping in the fall, you don't do this in Florida in July because you just would kill yourself, but sit around a fire and you can just lose yourself in its mesmerizing dance. And there's just something that just taps into our soul as we stare into the fire. I think it's no accident that when John makes eye contact with Jesus, what he says is he's got eyes like fire. They're mesmerizing. One of the things I can tell you about knowing Jesus is that when he locks eyes with you, you know that he sees you. And when you see him, you're mesmerized. If you haven't been mesmerized, you haven't seen Jesus. You ever have a conversation with somebody and they're just talking to you but they're kind of like constantly looking behind you and around you and they're not really paying attention? You ever have those conversations? You ever like talking to somebody and you're like, would you rather not be doing this right now? Because it just feels like you're somewhere else, right? But you encounter a person and you're having a conversation and you have that feeling of, you know that you are the only person that matters to that person right now. Why? Because their, their eyes are locked on your eyes. That's all that they're paying attention to. And this is part of knowing Jesus. It is to come into his presence and have his eyes locked on you. And it's not just fire because it's mesmerizing. Fire is always a picture of judgment and purification. Here's the thing I will tell you about Jesus. When you have an encounter with Jesus, he will look into your soul. And it doesn't matter if you were raised in church since you were seven years old and you've never done anything wrong and you've been Mrs. or Mr. Goody Two-Shoes, he will reveal to you and between him and you, you will both know how you do not stack up in the presence of God. The disconnect, the disbelief, the unbelief, the hidden sins, the the motivations, the desires of our heart that are impure. When you make eye contact with him, you know you've got a problem. But he doesn't make you feel guilty or condemned. His eyes draw you in. His eyes do what only the risen Jesus can do. And that is to identify the problem between you and him. And then he burns it away. He washes it clean. He is the only one who can forgive sins. He is the only one who can cleanse from unrighteousness. He is the only one who a relationship with a holy God is unhindered because of the fire in his eyes. And I wonder if you've let him look into your soul. How many of us come to church and we start to encounter God a little bit? And the first thing we do is we just get away from it. I don't want to feel that. I invite people to church all the time and they'll say things to me like, I can't go to church. The whole building would burn down if I went to church. Lightning would strike the church if I went in there. I was like, I've been in here when lightning struck the church before and everybody was fine. You know, it's totally fine. I think church is one of the safest places you can be. I've been doing this for over 20 years. I've never seen anybody die in church. So that's good. You can take a nap in church. No one will steal your cell phone. I mean, there's lots of good reasons to be up in church. But, uh, but you, you come into the presence of God and if you won't let him deal with your stuff, you will constantly be looking down, looking away, pretending and projecting. We do this with each other. We do this thing where we want to be loved and accepted. And so we project our best self out there. 
We cover things up with little white lies and we leave the things out to make us look bad and we try to act, be on our best behavior and we project a version of ourselves out there so that we can be loved and accepted and it's the loneliest thing you'll ever experience. Why? Because at best, the people who know you and love you, they love the version of you that's not the real you. But when you lock eyes with Jesus, he sees right past it. And he's the only one who can see you, still love you, and do something about the problem that exists between the two of you. His eyes are like fire. Verse 15 says, his feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. This is a reference to Daniel and some other places in the Old Testament, and it means some things symbolically. And the picture here of bronze is, this was the hardest metal made during the Bronze Age, and it was a picture of um, utter invincibility. You cannot stop Jesus. There is nowhere he can't go. You got an obstacle, he will stomp it down. Nothing is off limits to Jesus. You see this? There's not an ounce of impurity in him. His feet are forged in the fire and there is no stopping him. Isn't that good news? Because Jesus will send us places that will feel scary to us. But if you know that this whole earth belongs to him, he's the king. And if you know that he sent you to do a thing, then you've got fire feet too. There's no place you can't go. You are authorized and invincible. Paul said in uh, Ephesians chapter six, in the armor of God, he said, put on the shoes of the readiness of the gospel of peace. We ought to have runner's shoes and be ready to go as soon as Jesus said, but we also need to know that our Jesus has no place he can't go. Through his life and death and resurrection, Jesus is the only one who can go down into the depths of the grave to Sheol, to Hades, to hell itself and rescue whom he wants and how he wants because he's got the keys. There's no place he can't go. He'll come get you too, won't he? Aren't you glad Jesus will come rescue you sometimes? You ever been in trouble? You had one phone call you had to make? I don't mean jail. Just wherever. You ever been ashamed to call somebody and ask for help? When you look at those feet of Jesus, you should know that there is never a place he can't go. There's never a place he can't deliver you out of. It's a picture of his authority, his purity, his invincibility, and his power. Verse 15 continues. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. As we read the Bible in six months, hopefully you were picking up on all of these quips and phrases that persist around the presence of God through the, the law and the prophets and the Psalms. And this is a direct reference to Ezekiel 43, one and two, where Ezekiel is led in the spirit to see a vision and he is led to the gate, the gate facing east in Jerusalem. And it says in verse two, behold, the glory of God of, of Israel was coming from the east. And so God's now moving. You know, he's, remember Adam and Eve were banished from the garden of Eden. And now we've got God having done a thing where he's establishing a new temple where there's gonna be a flow of living water that's gonna bring flourishing and restoration to the earth and safety. And it's gonna start not, um, it's gonna start at the top of a mountain at the pinnacle of God's presence. And so God's moving back towards the place where people were banished from. And so it says, um, and the sound of his coming was like the sound of many waters and the earth shone with his glory. Already John has told us that the voice of Jesus sounded like a trumpet, not like, like, not like that. This is like the war trumpet, like deafening, ear piercing, everybody's attention is had. And his voice is like the sound of many waters. What is the picture here that we are meant to be getting? How is it that we make sense of Jesus' words when as he speaks, all we can hear is Niagara Falls? What's the picture? The picture is 
when Jesus speaks, God comes. The glory of God comes. This is why God's word matters so much to us at Christ Church, because we want the power of God and the presence of God to to get into our ears and to get into our spirits and to get into our souls and to reshape the course of our lives. We want that roar to come on us so that it drowns out every other voice. There are so many voices out there. There are voices that are telling you that you are enough, you are special. All you need to do is feel better about you. Look on the inside, find your true self. Don't look in there, okay? Just leave that shut. You let Jesus look in there. That's a mess, okay? He says, you look up here. There's all these voices that are telling you the end of the world is upon us. This is gonna happen. That's gonna happen. If this doesn't happen, then this won't happen. We can get our minds dizzied up and all sorts of things. Just stay off YouTube, all right? Just live stream the church and that's it. Don't, don't listen to all those crazies. There's so many crazies out there. And listen, but here's the thing. When you actually tune your ears to hear Jesus' voice, it just drowns out everything else. And in the middle of that deafening sound of many waters, you know this is the sound of God. This is the coming of God. This is the glory of God. Verse 16. In his right hand, he held seven stars. I've already referred to this, but theologians disagree on what these seven stars are. Obviously, Revelation is filled with symbolism and analogy and metaphor, but here Jesus has something in his hands. And so he says at the end of chapter one that the seven stars are the seven angels of the churches. And angels could be actual angels, heavenly beings. They could be messengers. The word angelos means messenger. So there's a number of different people. It could be the couriers who took John's revelation to back to the churches or the people who stood up and read that letter in each of those cities. Or it could be the leaders of those churches, the pastors of those churches. But here's the picture. I think it's more universal than that. I think this is a picture of every time a person receives a revelation from Jesus and shares this message with another person, they become a messenger of God. And here's what Jesus says. If you are engaging with me, if you are extending my voice into the world. Here is where you can find yourself in the palm of my hand. There is a beauty to know that when you are being faithful to King Jesus, no one can snatch you from his grip, that no one can force you down. Here's John banished to a prison island and he's encountering the living God and sending messengers to bring this powerful letter in the first century. And it has strengthened Christians and helped us to conquer age after age after age. And we are in his hand. That's the picture. So there's an intimacy that is there. There's a dependence that is there. We are his personal possession. Verse 16 continues, from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. You know, in Greek and in Hebrew, the sword is said not to have a blade, but to have a mouth. And so swords have mouths. Why? Because they consume in every direction. And Jesus here is revealing himself. And this is kind of hard to picture. If you do a little Google image search, you're going to find some weird pictures of this uh, painted and digitized. And here's Jesus with a sword sticking straight out or sticking straight down or one in his mouth this way. And you're, you're bending the analogy too far. The picture is that when Jesus speaks, he does 
work. He does two kinds of work. He does warfare to slay down the enemy and to set free his people. And he does surgery. He has got a blade that will excise from you every bit of unbelief, every bit of idolatry, every stony place in your heart. And he will cut it out and set you free and make you whole. When he speaks, evil is taken down. Do you know it? And what is pure is made whole. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that when Jesus, I'm so grateful that Jesus has a sword coming out of his mouth and not in his hand. Can you imagine what it would look like? You meet Jesus for the first time and he's standing at you with a sword cocked back like this. Uh, can we talk? You know? But here's the picture he's not here in this image to exercise judgment. That's coming. Get to chapter 19. He's got that sword attached to his hip. He's on a horse and he's coming to do work at the final judgment. That's happening. But in this picture, Every word he speaks does work. I, I got this visual in my, in my spirit. It doesn't really make a lot of sense, but I just, saw, I just saw myself or you just covered in climbing vines. And there's something about this sword of truth that can cut through those vines to set you free without hurting you at all. That his word just goes in and it digs and it cuts out and it destroys, but it only attacks that which is of the enemy. And you find yourself set free by this sword. I'm also really grateful as a Jesus follower to be behind the guy with the sword in his mouth and not in front of him <laughs> because the day is coming when final judgment will come. And that's certainly being alluded to here as well. Seventh and finally, verse 16 says, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Mm, what would that look like? What did John experience when he hears the sound and he turns around and he sees these lampstands and here's Jesus and he's noticing these things about him, a sevenfold description, and he looks at his face and it's that experience of, I can't look too long, my eyeballs are burning. He tells us, in fact, that he fell dead in the presence of King Jesus. And if it were not for Jesus putting a hand on him and saying, fear not, then, then John would have been prostrate before him. Listen, there's something about seeing the face of Jesus. All of humanity is under a spell of darkness. We are under a veil. We are, being, we are being held captive by the lies of the enemy. But when the truth of who Jesus comes to our physical ears, our spirits have an opportunity of an unveiling. And that's what Revelation is about. Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 4, 5, and 6. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord. Isn't this good news? Listen, every single church of Jesus ought not to be self-promoting. Do you get this? It's not about us. It's not about the church, the brand, our mission, our goals. It's about King Jesus. Do you know that? When we gather, it's to lift him up. There's this, there's this trend in church right now where everything's got to be sexy and videotaped. We need nine camera angles, you know? I got to see the fingers of the keyboard player, the bass guitar. He needs one camera down here. Oh. Let's get him. We need every, some of these conferences are telling church leaders like me, you can't put anybody on the stage who's over 40. Nobody wants to see that. What? That's what they're saying. They're saying, and if everybody could be a different nationality, that would also be really helpful. What are you talking about? When you're thinking that way, you have shifted from it's about Jesus to it's about you. And here's your message. What we proclaim is not ourselves but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants. You know what I mean? Take off your $900 shoes and take the trash out. That's what I say. You know what I mean? It's not about you. It's not about you. You know, 
You don't need a gym membership and Botox to be in pastoral ministry. Somebody say amen. I'm just saying, it's not about how big your arms are, is it? It's about who your king is. That's why we're here. It's about him. We want to experience a vision of his face. Look at verse six. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Where? In the face of Jesus Christ. Now, I wanted you to experience this revelation of Jesus. But my, my goal for today's service is not that you would leave here and go, that was cool. Now I know more about Jesus. My goal is that this unveiling of Jesus would mesmerize you in a way that you want more of him. Do you understand? I know there's a lot of us who when we encounter passages like this and we look at our own lives and our own challenges, our own obstacles, our own failures to transform, our own desires about the future, we think, man, if I could just get a, have an experience like that. You hear a testimony of somebody talk about how God spoke to them or God did a thing for them. And you think, man, if I could just have that, that would be the thing. But I'm here to tell you, that is not the thing. Jesus said it was not the thing. Do you know that? We could have King Jesus right now on the planet ruling and reigning from a temple in Jerusalem, but that is not what we have. John chapter 16, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. This is what the Holy Spirit does. And he wants to get on the inside of you. Brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you that every single moment of every single day, you can have a revelation of Jesus on the inside through a relationship with God by his Holy Spirit and experience more and more and more of him every day. And when you encounter him by his spirit every single day, this is what happens. You fall so in love with him and your eyes are so fixed on the purposes of God in this day and age. And you are so convinced of the return of Christ and his power against all his enemies that it shapes the way you live your life. You wake up every day and you put on your bronze feet and you go where God sent you. You say what God called you to say and you don't worry about who's going to reject it and who's going to accept it and who's going to cancel you. Do you know that? Because you're in his hand. This is the life that God wants you to live in. This is the life that is lived by his spirit. I was having this conversation with Genevieve, my 13-year-old. Actually, let me invite the worship team. I want you guys to cover us and I want to, I want to have a chance to, to respond in, uh, in worship. But I was having this conversation with Evie. Um, she came to us and now. The challenge of parenting is you want your children to go from doing whatever you tell them to making really, really good decisions. And there's always this, this shift from control to influence. And especially in the teenage years, you realize you have to start letting off of the control, but you still want to exercise that influence. And the goal is that when they're 18, 19, and 20, you have no control, but they're asking you, what should I do in this situation? That's the goal. Okay, well, she's 13, so you can check back with me in seven years. But she, she comes to us and she says, I was having this text conversations with some of her friends after uh, camp. And she said, I found myself texting all these friends and I would send the last message and then about, like an hour would go by and I would feel like crazy loneliness. And I just kept looking at my phone to see if anybody was gonna text back and text back and text back. 
And first off, we said, well, thank you for telling us this. This is a big deal that you would say this, that you would recognize this, number one, that you would say something to your parents, number two. So I was doing a little dad dance on the inside. But we were able to communicate to her, sweetheart, this is, this is very normal for the world we live in, but it's abnormal for human experience. You know why? Because this little device right here will ruin your soul. Because it'll tell you that you can have something and you were made for something that you actually weren't made for. You see, every time you get in a little group chat and somebody says a little thing, you feel connected to somebody in a relational way, but you're not. Your brain is telling you, I have a friend, I'm in community, I am loved and accepted and cherished. But as soon as that little notification disappears, you're plunged into the loneliness of isolation because you weren't made for a screen. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? It's the same thing for us adults. I'm not on social media. It's bad for my soul. I just got off years ago, but you're scrolling through Instagram and you're looking at everybody's best polished, filtered version of their life. And you know that it's not really that real, but you still compare it to your worst day and it makes you feel small and unsuccessful and bitter. Why? Because you weren't made for a screen, right? You were made for a family. You were made for a community. You were made for a conversation. You were made to look into the eyes of another person. And this is what Jesus is saying. And here's where the Lord spoke to me. I'm having this conversation with Evie and I felt like the Holy Spirit was just saying to me, there are so many people who are having a relationship with me and they're reading their Bibles maybe and it's just text messages. And they're thinking spiritual thoughts or listening to YouTube or sermons, but it's just Instagram and there's no connection. And as soon as it's over, they feel lonely and isolated, powerless and filled with doubts. And here's the reality. You were made by God for God to be a child of God with God forever. And we are heading to a eternal home where we will see and experience the unfettered presence of God but he has not left us alone from now until then. He has come to us in the Holy Spirit to dwell inside of us through the power of the blood of Jesus. We are cleansed completely and made pure to be temples of the Holy Spirit. And he wants to make his home on the inside of us. So there is never a moment, never a day when you are far from God. And in fact, there is a revelation of Jesus Christ to be experienced on the inside of you every day. Every time you open your mouth to pray, every time you open the scriptures in a conversation, not in a study pattern, every time you engage with God in worship and you give him your song and your best, every time you honor him through obedience, every time you trust him and follow through even when it's hard, if you are walking with the spirit of God, there is a revelation of Jesus Christ that will deepen your connection and make you more of a human. You know, Jesus was truly human. And without God, we are faking. We are false. We are empty. But with him, we are full and we are whole and we are representing him. And we become the manifestation of the living God on the earth. Do you know it? That's what it means to let your light shine. And so I just want to challenge you a little bit. In this moment, that if you find some distance between you and God, or you feel some loneliness or some failure to grow in your relationship, that possibly, perhaps, it's because you haven't opened up your heart and mind to God's Holy Spirit, or you've stopped desiring more of the Holy Spirit. 
Jesus said, listen, John came with this baptism of water for repentance, but I have come to baptize with the Holy Spirit, immerse you in the Holy Spirit and with fire to transform you, to purge you, to purify you. And if there is anything lacking, I just wanna challenge you to open up a prayer, a disposition of prayer between you and God, all of us together and say, I want all of it. I want more, I want every bit of you with nothing held back. And in as much as you do that, I'm telling you, there is no reluctance in God. There is no hesitation in God. He wants to move in your heart. He wants to move in your life right now. So I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes. And if you'll just hold out your hands in front of you, palms up, this does nothing, by the way. This is just an, this is just an act of obedience and an expression. Holy Spirit, we invite you right now into our personal space, into our hearts and minds, into our desires and fears, into our hopes and dreams. We're gonna be real vulnerable and we're gonna trust that what you want for us is better than what we want for us. And what you're gonna speak to us is better than what we hope happens to us or for us. We're gonna believe, take you at your word, that we are treasured enough in your sight that you would send your son to live and die for us and deliver us from darkness and that you only wanna give us good things. So we pray, we welcome you, each one of us right now. We welcome you into our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name. The band's gonna lead us in a song and the the front is open. If you feel the Lord is, is moving in your heart and you want more of him, come right up here to the front.